Welcome to the Becoming Your Best podcast. We're here to provide you and your team with the resources, tools, and content to achieve your greatest potential. For those interested in additional resources or services, such as the weekly planners, online planners for Chrome or Outlook, keynotes, live training, coaching, or certification, you can visit our website at becomingyourbest.com. Now, when you listen to an episode that resonates with you, we invite you to share it with your family, friends, and team members so that they can experience the same type of motivation and results in their lives. Also, if you haven't already subscribed, please hit the subscribe button. It works on Apple, Stitcher, Google, or whatever platform you're using so that you can get a new podcast reminder each week. Now sit back, let's get started, and we hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome to all of our Becoming Your Best podcast listeners, wherever you may be in the world. This is your host, Steve Schallenberger, and we are delighted to have an international guest with us today. She says that bad bosses aren't always bad people, and it takes work at every level to create an environment where everyone can flourish. I can tell we are going to have fun today in this uh, podcast. So if you dare to examine your own role in your current situation and take swift action, you'll gain better relationships, accelerated outcomes, and greater career satisfaction. Please welcome with me, Michelle Gibbons. Hi, Steve. How are you? Oh, so good. And we are so thrilled to have Michelle here all the way from Melbourne, Australia. (laughs) Uh, It's my absolute honor and it's an absolute pleasure to meet you too. Well, thank you. How are things in Melbourne today? Well, we're in spring at the moment, which is one of Melbourne's most glorious times of year. So if your listeners haven't been to Melbourne, you should come on down. It's a beautiful city. (laughs) Oh, that's great. It is an amazing place. Well, before we get started today, I'd like to tell you a little bit more about Michelle. She is bringing back the happy to workplace culture. If it's ever been needed, we live in a day and a time when it really is needed. It's been disrupted so much and so many changes, so much pressure on businesses, and and it's not uh, an easy environment, really. She is the author of three books and a global keynote speaker. She's on a mission to help leaders, teams, and organizations create successful workplaces where people thrive and and progress is accelerated. Earlier books, uh, Step Up, How to Build Your Influence at Work, and Career Leap, How to Reinvent and Liberate Your Career, are just a couple. I'm just looking at this new book that she's done, and and I'm going to ask her a question, but then I'm going to come back to this book. Her latest book is Bad Boss, What to Do If You Work for One, Manage One, or Are One. Okay, so we're going to have fun talking about that subject. But first of all, Michelle, please tell us about your background, including any turning points in your life that's had a significant impact on you and really what you're doing today. I've had an unusual career. So I originally started in politics. So I wasn't a politician, but I worked for a politician as a speechwriter and policy advisor. And then I went into a corporate career. So I worked in the mining sector. I worked in financial services and I worked across many disciplines. 
So I was a company spokesperson. I worked on large scale change programs. I was an advisor to a CEO and I was also a head of compliance. So I worked in risk functions. And then the real turning point for me was my last corporate gig wasn't a fun place to be. And I went on a meditation retreat and it was really at that meditation retreat. And I still remember the conversation. I came home and I said to my husband, I'm done. And he goes, uh, like done with what? And I said, done with corporate. And he goes, okay, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to open a business. He goes, in what? I said, I've got no idea. Now that was eight years ago. And clearly I have a very clear plan, which I've developed over those years as to what I'm doing. And the work is very focused and it bridges my love of learning and also my corporate experience. So I do a lot of work with organizations and leaders, really helping them build the right environment where everyone can come to work and be their best and can really flourish. And you know, having worked as an exec in corporate, I understand the challenges that they face. So yes, I've got all the theoretical and sort of academic piece that backs it up, but I'm also talking from practical experience. Oh, wonderful. Wow. What a background. Yeah, it's been fun. I um, One of my girlfriends once said to me, oh, Michelle, your career terrifies me. You make these seemingly random jumps into things that you don't know. <laughs> and I go... But that's what's fun is it's this love of learning. And I absolutely come from a philosophy that you can never stop learning. Oh, amen. Well, that's the spirit of becoming your best, right? Look, absolutely. And I think when you've got curiosity and a love of learning, you're not daunted by the challenge. Like you look at the challenge and go, I don't know that, but gee, it's going to be fun figuring it out. Uh, Good for you. That's a wonderful attitude. Well, tell us, Michelle, a little bit about your book, Bad Boss, what inspired you to write this? And what are some, what's an overview of what's in the book? And then we're going to talk, really drill down in it. It's interesting. The initial genesis of it came from a conversation with my brother-in-law. So I, you know, finished writing my second book and he goes, what's your third book? And I said, oh, I haven't actually thought about it yet. He goes, I know you should write a book called Bastard Bosses. Everyone's had a a bastard that they've worked for. And I remember chatting to my publisher and they went, ah, uh, look, I don't think we can actually publish a book with a title like that. But, you know, maybe if you could tone it down a bit, we could. And then when I started working through it and really thinking about it, you know, it's a bit like they talk about beauty being in the eye of their beholder. And it's a bit like that with bosses because it's really easy to characterize someone as a bad boss from your perspective. And, you know, I look at it and I go, I've been in all the positions. I've worked for a bad boss. I've been a bad boss, which I'm happy to talk about. And also I've managed bad bosses. And that's where the book comes from is it's really those three lenses and looking at it, but it's not looking at it from a place of judgment. It's looking at it from a place of curiosity and going, what's really going on for you and what's going on for the other person? And what are you doing to step up? And what role are you playing and contributing to the dynamic? And so it's not walking away and saying people aren't accountable for their actions. They're absolutely accountable, but it's also making sure that everyone is playing a role so that the workplace can be a really good place to work. Uh, I love the vision because that's where we want to be. Because when you have an environment that's fun and a winning work environment, then people can take off. They can excel and they can create this magic and and they create highly performing teams and organizations. So I love your focus on that and the end vision. Well, let's just talk about it. What's a bad boss? I characterize it, it's almost like that, you know, that the four by four, the two by two um, matrix. And it's really 
digging in and understanding what's their focus. Is it all about them or are they actually quite selfish or selfless? So where are they focusing their energy? And to what extent are they aware that they're a bad boss? So are they unaware or are they aware? And when you do that analysis, you can then work out where the type of boss is positioned. And it's the reason I did this is often when people think about a bad boss, they think about someone who's mean, who's nasty, who's a bully. But I would also say you can be a bad boss and have really good intent, but you're a bad boss because you're disorganized. You don't delegate effectively. You don't give clear instructions. So that's what I characterize as that sort of person who's the believer. They believe they're a really good boss and they genuinely care for their team, but they are ineffective as leaders because and therefore unaware of the impact they're having. They're not delegating effectively. They're not having the tough conversations. That is quite different to what I characterize as either the mercenary or the illusionist. The mercenary is someone, it is all about them. They, you know, it's, you know, it's my way or the highway. They are not interested in learning or understanding or even being aware that they've got any ineffective leadership characteristics because they see themselves as perfect. But then you've also got the illusionist. They're aware that they manipulate. They're aware that they're ineffective as a leader, but they actually don't care. It's all about them. And so those three types of bosses, whether you're the believer, the mercenary or the illusionist, it's different characteristics and therefore different strategies that if you're working for someone like that, that you need to apply to try and work through and go, can I make this environment work for me? Okay. So uh, the three are, one more time, the first one. Is the believer. Uh, the believer. What? Tell, tell us about that one again. I got the other one, other two right off, the mercenary and the illusionist. Tell us about the believer. So the believer is someone, they believe they're a good boss Ah. and they genuinely want to do the right thing. And so I've worked for someone like this, genuinely nice person, really lovely to work with, absolute nightmare of a boss, disorganized, dysfunctional in terms of how they would delegate tasks. And so you would always be playing catch up because things would hit your desk that should have been given to you about a month ago, but were given to you the day they were due. And so they're the sort of person who they're actually not focused on themselves. They're genuinely trying to focus on the team. They're just unaware that they've got deficiencies in how they execute their leadership responsibilities. I like the fact that you identify what defines a bad boss. In other words, from the different dimensions and each one of those that you talk about can drive people really nuts and be very frustrating and aggravating and cause them to not want to be there. Absolutely. But they also have different impacts. So like if you look at someone like the believer, you can work around that. So when I worked for this person who was in the believer category and, you know, people would say, Michelle, that wasn't your responsibility, but this was my strategy for making it work. I took over his inbox. And so this was back in the days when you actually had those physical in trays in people's offices and, you know, now everything is electronic. And I'd just walk into his office and go through his in tray, work out which of the things in there were actually for me. I'd pick them up and I'd go and I'd say to him, I've got these. Is that okay? And he'd go, yeah, great. So what I was doing is I was adapting my behavior to cope with the fact that I knew he was disorganized. Now, that's very different to working for someone who's a mercenary who can victimize, can bully, and can intimidate. And in that environment, and once again, I've worked for someone like this, so I've kind of worked across the spectrum, is 
you really have to sit back and go, what's the impact this is having on my mental health and well-being? Because those types of bosses, you can work with them for a while, but you have to be really careful because over time, their type of behavior can rub off on you. But at the same time, they're often people who have a lot of power and you can get a real kick along in your career if you can stick it out for a while. And so the person that I worked for was absolutely pivotal in helping my career be successful. But there came a point where I could no longer successfully function in that environment because it was too hard on me personally. Right. That's what that's what I was going to ask about next. What do you do if you think you have a bad boss? Like, what do you do with that situation? And do you, and I suppose it, it depends on the type of boss it is. How do you bring that up and how do you create a better situation? And then because, you know, a boss can be intimidating sometimes, especially if it's a mercenary or an illusionist, the believer might be more open. So how would you approach that, Michelle? So absolutely, you're right. You know, the believer is someone because they genuinely care. You can sit down and have a conversation with them and say, I love working with you, but there are some things that we could do that I'm seeing that I think could make this more effective. Are you open to that conversation? Now, a mercenary and an illusionist are going to go, uh, yeah, no, just not interested because I already think I'm awesome. So don't tell me I'm not awesome. So with both the mercenary and the illusionist, firstly, really examine your own behavior. Are you contributing something to the dynamic that is making that dynamic worse? Secondly, go, what am I getting out of this working situation in terms of how it helps my career? And therefore, is it worth sticking it out? Because sometimes it is. But if it's not, you need to really sit back and go, okay, this isn't helping my career. It's also impacting my mental health and well-being. Is it time for me to vote myself off the island and go somewhere else? And therefore, what does that look like? So it's really getting clear around the context, the environment, the impacts, and then working through options. And also sometimes you can find ways to work around them because you can find ways to sort of minimize your interaction with them and build coalitions of other people in the organization who also have power, who can minimize the impact that your direct boss has on you. Right. Okay. That's good. And and what do you do if you're accused of being a bad boss? What's your recommendation there? Well, I can talk from experience. So I would have been quite early in my management career and my my boss, who was a good boss, pulls me aside and says to me, Michelle, I get you're ambitious and I get you want to do well. And that's fantastic. But she said, at the end of the day, when you move on to something else, no one's going to remember the work you did. And I think she was channeling Maya Angelou when she said this. She said, people are only going to remember how you made them feel. And your role as the leader is to help people get to places that they can't get to but for the fact that they're working for you, you need to focus more on the development piece. And I had been very focused on task, very task driven. And what I found was that flipping and focusing more on the people, their individual needs, what they needed for me, how I could really nurture and grow them, the work just happened. And so it was really for me being open to what's the gap between how you see yourself as a leader and how people actually experience you as a leader. And so if you get feedback, if there's an inkling that perhaps you're not all that effective, really dig in and be open to that because it's very hard for us to really see how people experience us if we're not open to listening and hearing that feedback. 
if you're accused of being a bad boss, would it be important to read your book? I would think so. I would also say, and I do recommend this in the book, there's some really, really helpful 360-degree feedback tools that are out there. And they can be really instructive to use to give you that hard data, particularly if you're the sort of person who's fact-driven, like you go, oh, I don't want anecdotes. I need hard data. Well, if you want hard data, do a 360, you know, one of those ones that's very sort of almost like scientifically constructed so that you know you're getting data that's got rigor attached to it. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes I, I've i worked with a lot of 360 feedback assessments and boy, the managers really have to be mentally prepared and understand how to be ready for the data so that they can accept it with a positive frame of reference. Otherwise, it can be a serious ego enema and uh, not very fun, you know. So uh, they have to be prepared to really get after it with a positive point of view. I agree. And I also think that's where the role of, you know, someone like you or me as an executive coach, that sort of person actually help them work through it. Because I would never say to someone, go and do a 360 by yourself and then sit in the corner and read the results <laughs> because, because, you know, that's just going to end in tears for everybody involved. You really do need someone who can help you work through, one, what's your initial reaction? And then dig in, why are you reacting to that? You know, yes, to your point, what is it that's, you know, what's the ego? What's the part of you that's being triggered by this? Now, how do you move into that space of the wise one where you can really sit through and deliberately pull it apart and go, what is this showing me? And I've also said to people, context really matters. We're really impacted by the environment that we're in. And, you know, there's a three, uh, the 360 tool that I use and I had it done on me when I was working in corporate. And then I did it again when I was learning to use the tool in my consulting work. And it was interesting because the consultant who was doing my debrief, she said to me, wow. She said, your results are transformational. She goes, we don't normally see like these shifts are incredible. I said, hey, think about the context. I said, one, the first one was done when I was working in financial services, highly political environment to this one where I'm working for myself and my clients love me and the, you know, the team that I'm working with, like I said, it's totally different dynamics. So I often say to people, really look at the context that you're working in. And it's really important to challenge yourself. Is the context that I'm in helping me be better? Or is actually the context dragging me backwards? Because if the context isn't working for you, that's one of the things for you as a boss to go, mm, maybe I'm not in the right environment. I actually had a friend call earlier today. He is the division manager of a large major corporation. And he has uh, an employee that's over an office, relatively new manager, has been with the company for over a decade. So tried and true, but is new as an office manager. And so some of his subordinates, which is a term I don't really use, but it describes, you know, the direct report relationship, are complaining that sometimes it's a little rude and he's sharp with them, doesn't seem to have time for them, and doesn't seem to teach them as well as maybe as, as much as is needed. What would you recommend in a situation like that? Because his direct report was saying, I want to help this person. Mm. How could that, his manager, best help him? What would you say? He sounds stressed. That's my immediate reaction. And look, I've never met him, but I think it's really important as, you know, the boss's boss to really sit down and talk with him and understand 
what do you need from me? You know, what's going on for you? Because sometimes when people move into a new leadership role, they're overwhelmed by the responsibility. They're not given a lot of support around that step up. Sometimes they're still doing their old role because the old role hasn't been backfilled yet. And so it's really as that senior leader working through what's this capacity of the person to learn, to really understand their behavior and shift, and how do I then as that senior leader help coach them and work through that with them? And not done from a punitive thing, but really done from a point of view of, I really want to help you succeed. And I often find it curious, you know, when I'm brought in to work with senior leaders, I've had occasions where people have said to me, am I being performance managed? And I'm like, no, the fact that you know, the organization is paying for you to get coaching is a sign that they value you. And I really think, you know, we need to make sure that leaders see coaching and that support as something that is worthwhile and is not as punitive. And this is, you know, this is the next step towards the exit door. Yeah. Yeah. Reassure them and they go to work and help them out because we want to bring out the best of Everybody we work with. Absolutely. And it's really important to ask questions. And I think, you know, we can very quickly jump, you know, even when I said he sounds stressed, you know, but I had a lot of judgment in that. Not so not judgment, but you know, I, I made assumptions that that's what he sounds like. Maybe it's not stress. It could be something else. Is it that he doesn't have the right team around him? Is it that there's too much workload and there's not enough capacity? So as the leader, really getting curious, what's going on? What are they seeing? What are they hearing? Are they getting enough support from you? And this is a series of conversations. It, you know, it's not just the one, one and done. Yeah, yeah. So right, that's good advice, good thoughts. I like that. Uh, so, uh, Michelle, now that employees, many, many employees are going back to the office, what are they looking for from their leaders? I think what they're looking for hasn't changed, but it's been elevated. And, you know, the last couple of years, it's been hard. And even this year, you know, I think everyone thought that 2022 was going to be distinctly better than the last two years. Even 2022 has still had this element of uncertainty. It's been a bit weird. It's been a bit disjointed. And when you get down to tin tacks and really work out what employees want, they just want to feel valued. And they want to feel respected. And I always, you know, reference um, research that was done by Christine Porath from Georgetown University. And, you know, she did a lot of research looking at what is the number one thing that employees are looking for, and it's respect. And if you think about it, if you respect people, you take the time to understand them, you work out what their needs are, how you can support them. You really understand that the last couple of years have been challenging and look, you know, been challenging at all levels within the organization. And I also think people have missed their colleagues. And so so I've seen relationships that used to be good, have fractured. And so there's extra effort that needs to be put in to really reforming teams and reforming healthy relationships. Okay. Well, that's great advice. Good job. I like that. So I'm just amazed always how fast things go. And we're at the end of our podcast already. (laughs) Well, I've loved the conversation. You ask very good questions. Oh, thank you. It's been a delight. So you have so much experience in so many ways. I'd love to have you share with our listeners any final tips that can help them in their careers as leaders and also uh, dedicated employees. There's a couple of things, and I think this connects. It's almost like the themes throughout this conversation. 
never stop learning, always be curious and ask questions. And the one thing we didn't touch on, but I think is fundamental, particularly as leaders, it's a hard job being a leader, but it's a privilege. It's not a right, it's a privilege. That also means you need to take care of yourself. We don't make good decisions when we're tired. We don't make good decisions when we're stressed. And so taking time out for self-care, exercise, sleeping well, meditation, eating, that's not a luxury, that's an essential. Okay, that's great advice. I've just been thinking, as we've been talking today, Michelle, how important leadership is in this whole process. So if you're a bad boss, don't despair. Leadership is making a decision, taking responsibility unilaterally to do something good about it and to get to a better place. That's leadership. It's not dependent upon how others feel or think or say. It comes from within. And Michelle has given some great advice today on uh, assessments and gaining knowledge and reading books of how to move up the bar. And if you're an employee in that situation, the same thing. That's what leadership is. It's saying, hold it, I'll take responsibility. I'm going to control what I can control. I'm here to get things to a better place. And Michelle actually gave a great example of that with the believer boss to help them be more effective. She went into the his uh, to-do boxes you know, project box and said, hmm, this one, this one, and this one belongs to me. Let me jump in here and help it get to a better place. So uh, that's a big deal. And you've talked about a lot of that today. That's what leadership does, right? Absolutely. And, you know, I always, you know, Brene Brown, when she defines a leader, she defines a leader not by hierarchy, but by anyone who can actually see that there are things that can be done better. And then they take the accountability to do that. And I often think we define leadership in a too much of a hierarchical sense. And we all have the opportunity to lead, but in different facets and in different ways. That's a good observation. Well, it has been a delight, Michelle, to have you on this show today. I love your thoughts, your ideas, the inspiration of getting to a better place. We want to be good bosses. So we wish you the best in all that you're doing. Oh, thank you. And look, thank you again for having me on. It's been so much fun. Oh, it has been a delight. And we wish all of you the best who are listening today. It's such an honor to have you with us and uh, a privilege to be able to work together for all of us to try to get to a better place, to make the world a better place, to be happier and have stronger relationships and help our organizations be among the very best. So to all of our listeners, we wish you the best today and every day. This is your host, Steve Schallenberger. Thank you for listening to the Becoming Your Best podcast. If there was something in this podcast that you felt would be helpful for a family member, a friend, or even a coworker, we invite you to share this podcast with them now while you're thinking about it. Also, remember to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Now, for additional resources and tools, such as how to join our monthly P-Performance Coaching Program, or how to get certified as a trainer or coach, or schedule a workshop or keynote, you can visit our website at becomingyourbest.com. We're here to provide you and your team with the resources, tools, and content to achieve your greatest potential. So thank you for listening and have a wonderful day and a great week.